designing the first AR-enabled live performance outfit too, so that it'll be interactive with the audience. And that's been a really fun adventure. So I wanted to host a panel and kind of like talk about all of the cool new emerging things in the wearable tech space. That's Anastasia Elliott. I'm Jamie Green. And this is Trading Force. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Green. I hope you're doing well. Musicians often talk about NAM, and I have to remind myself that people not in the world of music probably don't know what the hell we're talking about when we say NAM. I've actually had a couple people ask me if I was talking about Vietnam. So let me clarify. NAM is the largest music merchandiser conference in the world. Say that three times fast, I dare you. It is held annually in Anaheim, California. Pre-COVID times, it was always in January, but they've had a shift at the last couple of years. Uh, in 2023, it was in mid to late April. And I'm telling you all this just because today's guest, the fabulous Anastasia Elliott, came on my radar because she was hosting a panel at NAMM to talk all about putting augmented reality into her live shows. Now, what does that mean exactly, you ask? Well, I ask the same thing. Because in this case, Anastasia is breaking new ground by actually creating wearable technology as part of her live performance. The idea is to amp up the usual live performance to become a new multi-sensory experience for fans and the artists alike. Pretty cool stuff, right? Well, as amazing as that is, and she and I talked a lot about this, the much cooler thing to me is how ridiculously talented Anastasia is as a singer, performer, visual artist, and video director. Jump on YouTube when you have a moment and just take a gander at all these videos that she's creating with her songs. They are remarkable and have quite a point of view. It reminds me a lot of what David Bowie was doing way back in the 1970s when I was a little kid, but she's an entirely new generation and she gets to tap into all this new technology, including wearable technology we were just talking about. So I guess what I'm saying is yes, listen to this episode, hear all about that, but definitely take time to listen and watch all the things Anastasia is doing creatively. It's amazing. She's very talented and uh, has some really cool friends and family that are helping her to have her vision. I was blown away by all of it. So we had a wonderful conversation talking all about this stuff and much more. So let's get started. Here's my conversation with Anastasia Elliott. So uh, Anastasia, thanks so much for coming on Trading Fours. It's it's such a treat to talk to you in person. Thank you for um, having me. And you know, you you came on my radar because you are were talking at Nam. So how was Nam for you? I, I assume you had a good it time. It was awesome. It was so awesome. I I love conferences. I love any time I get to be around a bunch of people and get to like talk to people and meet people. And I loved um, hosting the panel on wearable technology. It was really awesome and. Um, made a lot of really cool connections and played with a lot of cool new instruments and yeah, bought a guitar. You I bought something. I did. did. So was it more than you wanted to spend or were you okay with it as far as price? Was um, it was a nice, it was an arrangement. They, uh, they worked out with me. So it's um, an, a hopeful endorsement that's going to be happening. Oh, very so, cool. Very yeah, cool. It's, she's gorgeous. I, went back and played it like four times and was like, I would be heartbroken if I left without this guitar. Yeah. How many guitars do you have? I had a Godin sponsorship and I have three of their guitars and one electric and two acoustics. And then this is an electric now. So that's cool. I think I have, like, I have I nine. It, it always shifts. But I don't know at the moment, nine, I think I'd have to count. Yeah. So, and I have I have one that somebody built me, but it's not finished. So it's like it doesn't technically work. So I need to find someone to either finish it or just like get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's very cool. So wearable technology. Uh, I, I'm a Gen Xer. Like you see how I'm dressed. That's how you know for decades. <laughs> you know, I was I was born in '68. So this is all new to me. So explain to what it is and how you as an artist want to utilize it as another kind of a medium within your shows? Yeah. Um, 
Well, I chose the topic of wearable technology because I'm launching the first AR-enabled artist merch where my t-shirts and, well, the t-shirts to start with, when you scan them, they basically give you constant backstage access to me. So I'm updating it with like behind the scenes content and and things for people who have the like special t-shirt. And then um, we are putting out a puzzle that when you scan the puzzle, the music video comes to life and then it gives you like a demo of the song. So I kind of got into like the idea of wearable tech that way. And then I'm designing the first AR enabled live performance outfit too, so that it'll be interactive with the audience. And that's been a really fun adventure. So I wanted to host a panel and kind of like talk about all of the cool new emerging things in the wearable tech space and kind of expected to find lots of neat companies and lots of fun products for me to play with. And it was kind of the opposite of that. We were really shocked at how the like little innovation is going on in the space of wearable tech and like doing a lot of research and seeing how back to like 2016, there was like a lot of innovation at that time. And then you see all these companies that kind of like pop up for just like a little bit and then like died. And just kind of figuring out like what it was about, like why, just why they're dying and why there hasn't been any cool products made. And Mimu gloves um, are one of, are by far the coolest thing in wearable technology. And so I knew Kelly Snook, she's the NASA scientist who is just a brilliant musician and brilliant human and she um, was one of the creators of the gloves so I had her and one of the artists that uses them and then a researcher Gigi Johnson she came and and talked on it as well but we were just shocked to find how little was in the space so now I'm just really passionate about connecting developers and artists and coming up with more ways that we can like use this stuff because actual triggers and stuff aren't that expensive so it's actually something that independent artists and like DIY artists can incorporate into their stuff which is a huge passion of mine is like not just showing the luxury items but showing how young artists or new artists that don't have big budgets can make things that are really special on a budget. So have you always been intrigued and interested in the visual media realm is that something you've always you always dug? Definitely. Um, when I write music, I, I write the visuals at the same time. And to me, a song is not complete until it has its visual piece. So they kind of work hand in hand to me. Like sometimes I even write music video concepts before I even write the lyrics of a song. And that's kind of how I get to the lyrics. So kind of multi-sensory experiences has always been my jam. But I grew up around the opera and the symphony and the ballet. Like I was frequently attending those things and so to me like the merging of all those mediums were where the magic was well it's interesting because i don't think most people think about that that opera you know which is hundreds of years old the, the classic operas they, obviously they're still writing operas but it was such a visual component to it as well mm -hmm. right. i mean it, it visuals fashion the sets the so much that went into it and storytelling with the music and i think growing up in the opera world was kind of my it's it's definitely molded how i think about making modern music for sure so how did you grow up in the opera world um i'm an, i'm opera trained i'm an opera singer okay so that was classical piano and opera was my first first dabbling in music and um my grandfather was the chairman of the opera so I was there a lot watching the operas and then started doing opera and wound up going to the Boston Conservatory for like two months and being like music school is absolutely not for me and wanting to take like my operatic skills and bring them into like the kind of music that I wanted to create but I love incorporating opera in my music and in my shows and absolutely do you know who Joyce <laughs> Do you know who Joyce Didiano is? I probably just, do you know her at all? She's an opera. No. She's actually from here, um, but she's like, she's at the Met and she does all these. It's interesting. Oh, nice. she, was, she was my wife's babysitter. They grew up on the same street. What? Like yeah, small world. <laughs> man. So it's interesting. I've had like three or four people 
over the life of this podcast, it started out in opera, which is a very, yeah. And now are, are kind of trans translating what they learned into the popular music space. How have you found that for you? Is that something that's easy translatable? Is it, do you have to think about singing a little less? And I'm, I'm a schmo, so I don't know operatic. Uh, how I, I'm kind of curious how you made that transition. Well, for a long time of going in and writing with lots of pop producers and writers, like when I was kind of like developing my sound, I, I heard plenty like sing with less vibrato, that's not pop, whatever, whatever. But then I just didn't work with those people anymore because I was like, well, that's what I like to sound like and <laughs> screw you. So I have never really thought about it. I think it's just so part of my DNA as a person and as a writer that my melodies just have operatic tendencies in them and I I love that and I'm leaning into that even harder for the next music that we're writing um but it's not it's not really a challenge to me I mean I'm not really a big music consumer I don't listen to a ton of music so I kind of just uh do what I feel and opera is definitely part of that and when I you know here I'm not I'm just not somebody that really thinks about genre too much just kind of play with sound and it's just another sound well i think and i i'm sure you agree the most important thing about being a musical artist is being authentic to yourself mm-hmm. definitely because right? you <laughs> that's can't my best yeah because that's that's then it's true i think it i think audiences can smell out a phony like it's not what you mm-hmm. really like you have to do what you really enjoy i mean I think there's a million examples, but you know, the fact that Bob Dylan sang songs like Bob Dylan and wasn't, but it worked because it was him. It was his authentic voice. Yeah. And, and then if I had listened to any of those people, my music wouldn't be anything like what it is. And usually that kind of stuff that I do live is what people love the most. So it's, um, it's cool to see things like that. And also just having opera training, like nothing compares to it as far as vocal health goes. And Oh, yeah. Knowing voice so well and how to protect it and when it's tired. <laughs> and nobody yeah. around me is a loser. They're like, just push through. And I'm like, no, <laughs> definitely no. not. Well, you know, uh, I've seen, because I grew up in the 80s with hard rack guys that did not have any training at all. They just went out and screamed, basically. And, and you see them, it's like, you know, debris on the roadside as their careers because they're they're shot. It's done. Um, and then you see somebody like a Pat Benatar who did have mm-hmm. formal training and I just saw her last year and she sounds phenomenal. She's seven years old. Like she mm-hmm. hasn't lost anything. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of singers, it would really benefit them to learn how to actually sing properly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Many artists friends of mine that I know, I'm like, oh my God, please get coaches. Like, please train your voices. <laughs> and I think auto-tune has become a crutch for a lot of people too. Yes. If anyone puts auto-tune on my voice, like I just lose it. I lose it. Like, don't you dare. <laughs> no, it's terrible. It's, it's definitely, it's, it's a crutch and I hate the sound of it. I can always tell. Yeah, it's terrible. So I want to talk about these videos because I, I watch them. So <laughs> as somebody who grew up on MTV, these are fabulous. These are a lot of fun. So do, this isn't cheap though, Anastasia. Like this is, a, this is an outlay to put one of these together. Um, It's, not as expensive as you'd think, but we um we work really hard. We build all the sets, costumes, everything ourselves. So it's very uh, time consuming and that's how we make it cheap. Um, but in my many years of making music videos, I've just found ways of pulling the right people together and learning skills that I didn't previously have in order to pull off the things I wanna see. And a lot of my friends get together and we, I have a lot of talented friends. So we make, make costumes and. That's amazing because, so let's just talk about the, the one that's the, the plane crash, which, you know, bones. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking, you got choreography going on. You've got, uh, you know, the wreckage of a, a of an aircraft as part of it. You, you, you're sitting and playing piano part of it. That's been tied into that aircraft. You've mm-hmm. got uh, a, a, I don't know what you would call your suit with the the bones, the head, the jawbone on top of your head and stuff like that. That's a lot of work. So I'm assuming that there's a lot of pre-planning that goes ahead of this just because you have to pre-plan it to get the cost to come down. Yeah, I'm crazy about pre-planning. Like when I write music videos, like we make full 
very in-depth in treatments. And then um, I storyboard things and do pretty much like full edits with text of like exactly the angles and what I want to see in each shot. And then we kind of get together and spend a lot of days like just researching and kind of like figuring out exactly what we want to do. And then pricing things out and figuring out what we can upcycle, like the piano that's in Bones was a piano from another music video, The Boy Who Cried Love, that we made for that video. And it was um, a free upright that we deconstructed and built into this new piano. And it had been sitting in my storage unit for a long time and looked kind of like shitty. So it was perfect for Bones. And we brought her out. It's it, She's still around. We may use her for one more. I'm thinking I may set her on fire for the end of the album. And Like, um, like Jimi Hendrix with his guitars kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of a, a lot about upcycling. Like there's a lot of things that we've used in multiple videos and given new life to. And um, that set, we wound up shooting that video we shot bones at this amazing little north of nashville and it's all wreckage from world war ii planes and he brings the families of the people who crashed in the planes to see the planes and it's like this amazing place so the key i think when making music videos on a budget is kind of figuring out like what your like one hero thing is going to be whether it's the like fashion or the location or you know whatever like the one thing is going to be that you're going to spend money on and then everything else is cheap and DIY or, or favor, <laughs> lots of favors. I mean, that's kind of how we pull things off. And I would have I'm never, so I would for the next three, I directed three for this project that will come out in the next couple of months and July that we're currently editing and they're maybe my favorite. So I would never have known this. If you would have yeah. asked me, I would have said, oh, that was professionally shot and, and a, all of it, the, the wardrobe people, the sets, all of the stuff, it was professionally, you know, not people that your friends, yeah. I we mean, definitely are professional. My friends are good, are professionals. <laughs> like, but I, you know what I mean, though? Yeah. I'm talking like, you know, when Lady Gaga would put a video out, like it's like that yeah. kind of thing. She just walks in and stuff. I mean, this is a lot of work that you have, have done for you. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. this is a, a 100% as a compliment. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I know. I mean, the, we did have great some great crew members on that one that do a lot of big videos that came and donated their time for that. But um, it really just is about a lot of planning. And I think when you have a great plan and a vision, you can get people to come and, and want to be part of something really cool. So that's kind of how we've operated till this point. And I hope someday to have really big budgets that I can actually pay the people well that come and work on them. But I love at least being able to be the person that gives people cool videos for their reels. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm starting to direct music videos for other artists. And are you really? Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I'm about to do a couple and I'm I'm really excited about it. I, I just I love the visual process and I think it's one of my strengths as a creator to know how to put the pieces together to pull these things off. This for Anyone that's watching this right here is a secret look at part of a set that's still up from a music video we shot in July. <laughs> in your house? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we build a lot of sets here. That's cool. That's very cool. So, yeah. so, so you keep saying we. How how big of a posse is this when you do these? Uh, my mom. She makes a lot of my costumes and sets with me. Um, there's this amazing friend of mine who's been with me for like 11 years named Lacey Wooten and she makes a lot of my costumes and sets and everyone kind of does a lot of uh, different things and in Bones we had an awesome art director Jonathan Paris I mean he actually did quite a few of those videos with us and he's brilliant at so many things and then other friends that give their time for for things choreography and that's yeah. great those are like my core like my mom and Lacey and a couple of others, like they're all, they're always there. And then everyone else just kind of like comes in when they're when they're needed. We're gonna have to get you a, a cool name because Elvis had the Memphis Mafia. You're gonna have to figure out what your Nashville, whatever. You're gonna you have to have something. You have to name them. Figure something out we're the name. We're the Purple Cult. Oh well, yeah, you are the Purple Cult. I was just like a Nashville. <laughs> How long have you been in Nashville? Um, twelve years, I think. 
it's changed a lot in 12 years. It's changed a lot. When I moved here, there was like nothing other than country. And I was pulling all these like really big country writers into like weird pop sessions. And that's why I moved here because I loved them as lyricists and storytellers. And now there's there's a lot of interesting people here and it's a it's a it's a fine place. Yeah, I've <laughs> got some, I've got what what's your favorite place? Definitely New York. Okay. Did you grow up on the East Coast? No, I'm from Houston, Texas. You're from Houston? I would have never guessed that my mom's a native Texan. I would have never guessed that. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like my mom's yeah. mom's gonna be 91, Anastasia, and she's a badass. She still lives in the house I grew up in. She still drives everywhere. She's she's wow. she taught Fez Ed. She uh she was who I shot hoops with and threw a football with and stuff. She was an iconoclast. Oh. She was way ahead of her time. So that's so awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's very cool. So uh there's so much to ask you, but I don't want to spend all day with you. I wanted you to go out and make art. But one of the things that's funny, because I, I I follow you on Instagram and I kind of I had said something about you and stuff. So this let, let's talk about flying. Um, mm. You can do you want to share your story or is it is it too much? I don't ever want to. And no, then, I'm an open book. <laughs> but I want to tie it in with your podcast. Well, your your video podcast on YouTube where you're you're talking to people about mental health. So um, talk a little bit about your experience. And, and I told you on, on Instagram, I would tell you about mine. So yes, um, go ahead. Um, well, I, in 2013, I wrote a song, Crash Landing, which is on the album. And it is technically the first song on the album. Um, and at the time, I didn't really know why I wrote it or what it was about. It was just kind of a song. And then three months later, I was in an actual plane crash. And I say I manifested this experience <laughs> and now I need to write about winning the lottery. Yeah. But um, that changed my life forever and set the blueprint for this album. And the album's all about the phases of trauma healing that I went through after the plane crash to become good again. So it was a wild experience pilot error on a Southwest plane. She crushed the landing gear into the plane and we slid 2000 feet and caught on fire. And it was really insane. And I yeah. learned a lot that day about uh, not listening to people and just dealing, uh, just doing what you think is best for yourself. And that that really is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, it's, it's interesting because you even have, is it the actual audio? from the plane crash at the beginning of that you you pulled that off that's in your video yeah the audio is in the um the song it's uh in the bridge there's the radio control tower talk from the plane crash Thanks. and there's also in certain like more intense moments of the song a couple of people were filming from inside the plane and there's the audio of like the sound of the engines like screeching on the tarmac that's in the song in the song too so i i describe myself as a a nervous flyer like i still fly because like for instance you know you go to nam i'm not driving from kansas city to los angeles no yeah you know, or when i've been to europe or when i go to new york because we love to go to new york for a long way uh but it's not like super enjoyable to me it's just like i just put up with it and i kind of is that how it is for you i noticed that you were you were bemoaning that you did not have the the proper accoutrements <laughs> for your flight back to Nashville from Los Angeles. Yeah, um, turbulence is my biggest like trigger because the flight after the plane crash, I didn't really know how I was gonna be. And it wound up being the most turbulent day of the year. And we were dropping like thousands of feet and I was running up and down the aisles, like freaking out. I didn't know what to do with myself and trapped for three hours. So turbulence was almost more traumatic for me than the actual like I'm not landing doesn't really bother me as much as turbulence. Um, so for like two years, I flew with Xanax and I hated it because it would just make me like tired and still just as upset. Um, and then I would have to sleep all day whenever I got wherever I was going. And I got, I just, I never had a choice but to not fly. Like I wasn't going to like let it make me not fly. So I flew like every two weeks and it was miserable and like torture. But over time, like I started to find things that 
like I could do that weren't so bad. Like knitting for me on planes is really helpful because it like keeps my mind engaged and like things like solitaire, but it's not overstimulating. Like I can't really watch like watch movies and listen, like it's like too much and I feel like I can't hear what's going on. So I kind of have to do things that like keep my brain engaged, but aren't too much. And then, but now like at this point, as long as the flight is smooth, I'm pretty all right. But I have to take, I take like a quarter of a five milligram edible. Like I don't even take that much because I don't like, if I were, if I were disoriented on a plane, I would probably be really upset, but it's like just enough to like help me like lock into the music and relax a little. And it has done wonders for me way more than Xanax ever did for me. Like it really helps me to like relax and just like kind of like get a little lost in the music, get a little sleepy. Like it's perfect. That's and good. yes, I forgot I lost my darn edibles. I found them, but I packed them in the suitcase that was under the plane on my flight back to <laughs> good. And it was supposed to be like half turbulent, like like they were warning us. And I was Ugh. like, damn it, like what the hell? The one time I don't have them. And but it wound up not being turbulent and it wound up being a fine flight. <laughs> yeah. I, I so I have some theories. Do you want to hear my theories? Um, so first of all, well, I'll, I'll tell you how it starts. So when I was 10 years old, my mom wanted to see her mother, who at the time lived in Texarkana, Texas. And I had never flown. And I thought that was, this is so long ago, Anastasia. We flew on brand of airlines from Omaha, Nebraska to Dallas. That's been out of business for decades. Anyway, um, so we t- took on this, like a little puddle jumper flight, Rio Airlines. I mean, it's so small that you can see the pilot. He's about 10 feet in front of you. And mm-hmm. I'm a kid, so I'm like, this is great. Like, I'm having fun. I'm like looking around at the window stuff. And then when we went to land, he comes in and I apologize to my listeners. You're just going to have to imagine this, but I will visually show you like I like <laughs> this. And he hits yeah. the ground and then it goes boom, 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 boom. And it scares the shit out of you. And the the co-pilot, because he was feet away from me, says to the pilot, man, that was a shitty landing. Um, and so like, I kind of forgot about it, you know, was pretty terrifying at the time. And then we were there for a week or whatever. See my grandmother, we come back and we're on a, and now it's a small jet. So I think I was like, okay, this will be better because it's small jet stuff. So we're mm-hmm. taking, we're going down the runway, Texarkana. I don't know if we didn't have enough speed. I don't know what happened, but he just slams on his brakes and we're just skidding all down the runway. Oh my God. And so that's what started it for me. So <laughs> like you, I don't like you, what's that? I don't blame you. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, my idol, the reason why I picked up a guitar was Steve Ray Vaughan, and then he dies in a helicopter crack. That didn't help. Um, mm-hmm. So I do it. I just say, I'm a nervous flyer. Like, I'll get on because I don't want to wait, but I, I may have to try your gummies thing. because it's. And then my wife is like the most relaxed person on the planet. Like, she, she'll fall asleep before you even, like, leave. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. I so wish I could be that way. I'm, I really, really recommend it. Like, I mean, it truly, like, even just taking a little, that's not enough to even get you like quote unquote high. It's just like, it really just does help you like look into music and kind of just like, it's like a chill pill. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm glad that you're still traveling because music is a very travel oriented business. Like, you know, it is at that time I was between um, Nashville and New York, like every two weeks, like every month or so like flying was kind of not, not an option for me. And I'm glad. I mean, I I got on a flight the next week by myself because I was like, I have to tackle this before it becomes a phobia. Like, I cannot live my life. Not, I mean, I grew up traveling and I was like, I cannot live my life where I can't travel. Like, I have to figure this out <laughs> no matter how much it sucks. And for a long time, I would like stare at one little speck of dirt on the window and like however much it was moving in the clouds was how much I was freaking out. Like if the dirt stayed still, I knew we were like, we were still in fine, which was obviously rare. So, yeah. I, just, I mean, it was it was pretty bad for a couple of years, but like it didn't stop me from getting on the plane. Yeah. So I have a pilot friend, and like he's a total badass. Like he he was in Top Gun, the real Top Gun, not the Tom Cruise, the real. Wow. One. Yeah, he was a Navy. He was he went to um, he was in Naval Academy. He flew F-18s on and off of a uh, aircraft carrier in Kosovo in the war in Kosovo in the first Gulf War. He was in it. So. He's seen some stuff and and he's like, dude, he's like, just think of it. Like when you're on a boat and you hit choppy water on a boat, he he goes, it's no different. 
But it's like yeah, I've done so many hypnosis rounds and like all kinds of things like after that and just be like, all right, now think of it like you just hit a bumpy road and I'm like, cool, but like you're in the air and there's nothing under you. Like I will well the next time I talk to my buddy Puck, I will tell him that you think that's full of horseshit and you're not buying it. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> At so least there's water under you in a boat. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, you're you're gonna have a new album. All these 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 things that have been they're coming out. It's gonna lead to an album. So do you have timeline for all of this? Yes, um, we're currently setting the exact date, but it's gonna be in the next like two months. So it's coming real quick. That's cool. So you do this, you interview people uh, on YouTube. You do you do a very nice job. Like I think people Thank think you. anybody can interview. <laughs> I think that's just like because I see some people and I'm like, oh my god, you're a terrible interview. Like you just don't know how to interview people, uh, or or they just you know anyway they don't listen. Like I always feel that's yeah. weird. Um, but you do a yeah. really nice. You do a nice job. Thank you. I appreciate that. I so, I love it, and I'm about to start again because um, I kind of took a, a break from it. But I just was like, I have all these so many cool people in my life, and like the topic of mental health and creativity is like my thing and it's really important to me and I always have these interesting conversations and I was like you know what can I do that's like different kind of content and you know it's fun and I spend a lot of time preparing for the interviews like if someone's got a book I read the book and I like take notes and I like you know digest everything I can from them and I think that that is what makes a good interview is like knowing who you're talking to and you wouldn't believe how many people I talk to that literally know nothing about me and like that's fine like but I think the best interviews come from when you work a little bit at it. so I put a lot of effort into those interviews but it kind of was I, I naively started the podcast not having a clue on what goes into a podcast I was like oh yeah like I hate short form video content. So my solution is to put out hour and a half long podcasts. <laughs> and now yeah. I'm, I like kind of was like, okay, I need to like take a step back and refigure out how I'm doing this, but they will begin soon. I've got a lot of cool people lined up for it. But that's very cool. I, I, several thoughts. First of all, yes, read the book. I, I, I think it's rude not to be prepared. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if that's my Midwestern roots. I don't know if that's because I was a boy scout when I was a kid. I don't know why, but like, um, you write a book, I'm reading it ahead of time. Uh, I, yeah. I always, I always do. And I also, I don't write out questions. I feel that if I'm writing out questions, I'm going to be too worried about, you know, picking up a piece mm -hmm. of paper and be like, you know, when I, when I, and not listening to what the person's doing. Right. So that's, that's, that's a good thing but too. Um, it, it's cool that you're, you know, there's still a little bit of a taboo about mental health, which there shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people at some time in your life, you're going to deal with it. I mean, there's there's mm -hmm. things that, you know, whether it's growing up in an alcoholic household, I've talked to people about that, whether it's stress of getting on a plane and having a crash or there's a million things that could happen. Um, so it, it's good that you're, you're you're talking about this and you're you're open and, and, and forthright with people. Do you, do you find that it's it's therapeutic for you as well? Absolutely. I think, I mean, the plane crash definitely it was my big catalyst into my mental health journey because I kind of grew up in a very like cookie cutter, like a socialite type of society where there was not a lot of like emotional intelligence and like emotional support. And so even though like my family and everyone was very like close, like it wasn't like always emotionally close. And so when that happened to me, like I had no, none of the emotional intelligence skills that I needed in order to know what the hell to do or how to process it. Like you can't just push an experience like that under the rug. Like you can a lot of things. And it made me like seek out all these different types of like healers and therapists and like try to understand myself because I was just in crisis. And because of that, then my family started studying stuff and like it, it impacted everyone around me in, in the coolest way. But I think talking to people about their different journeys and kind of like bringing that to the surface and exposing that to people, like I think it, it it's helpful. And I love doing talks at colleges and, and corporate places about healing trauma through art and creativity because 
I think different things work for different people. And when you can listen to all kinds of people talk about what works for them, like maybe you can find the things that work well for you. So I think it's been really interesting conversations and I've certainly learned a lot from all the people I've talked to. Which is great. That's, that's part of the fun. I mean, I, 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 with this, I always feel like I get to meet a lot of really interesting people and, and a lot of times. Yeah, exactly. Music I wasn't even aware of and, and uh, it expand, yeah. expands your boundaries. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's partially selfish. I get to have lots of conversations with cool people and learn about things and then hopefully people like to listen to us. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, growing up, you start on piano first. I know you said that's your first instrument. How old were you when you started on piano? I think I started lessons around four or five. That's yeah, so really young. Yeah. So, so who, are, who, are, who are your piano pianist jams? Who are, your, who are the great piano players? You just love to listen to people play piano. I love Rachmaninoff. He's definitely my favorite composer. I always wanted to play dark stuff and fast stuff. Like <laughs> that was always my personality. Like when she would give me like happy, like Mozart type stuff, I, or I was like, this is so boring. Like I want the dark dramatic ones. So Rachmaninoff and Chopin were probably my favorites. And then I, I, ha- I definitely have gone through my Philip Glass, like minimalist phases. And um, I'm currently learning a David Bowie song that um, I'm going to be covering soon, but I really want to do it right. So I'm like spending a lot of time to make sure the piano part is really awesome. Yeah, which which Bowie tune, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I can never remember the song's name. No, I know all the words that are in the title, but I can never get the order of them right. You can tell how, how far I am in learning it here. That's I'm fine. Advice. I just was curious. It's Lady Grinning Soul. I thought I knew it. I always want to say Grinning Lady Soul, but it's Lady Grinning Soul. So Bowie's one of those things too. Like he had a range. I don't think people realize that. Like some of his stuff's not easy to sing. No, he's he's fantastic. I love uh, Bowie. And I relate to Bowie a lot. He talks a lot about how he was not a really big music consumer. He didn't listen to a lot of music and he wasn't like a music lover from that standpoint. And it was like a tool of expression for him. And I'm like, for all you who tell me that it's weird, I don't listen to music. <laughs> That's yeah. You got to do what you want to do. I'm going to have to send you some, um, some Jason Faulkner stuff then. Cause Jason, you should. Yeah. I don't know. If you I, know see, that's how I get music and how I listen to music is when people share music with me. And, and I love when people do that. I'm just not huge on like discovering it. Well, well I think you're going to dig him for a few reasons. Uh, first and foremost, he's always done it his way. Um, second, he does his albums. He does it all. He's, he records it all in his house, drums, bass, cool. keyboards, all of it, writes it, arranges it, mixes it, everything. Um, and he's a huge Bowie nerd. Um, so he's put some clips of him playing some Bowie tunes. You'll dig it. He's, he's really, he's really good. Absolutely. So before we go, um, are you going to tour? What's the, the album comes out, you're going to tour around like, what, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, we, um, we've been pretty grounded in Nashville this past year playing a lot here and we're kind of taking a Nashville break. So we're, uh, hoping to get on the road quite a bit this summer and we're working on an east coast run for august i think and um we're also producing the music that will come right after this album so we've been writing a lot and i'm so excited for the next music too and we just started working on album three so we're um we're busy over here how do you lots of music videos we're shooting and yeah, you sound really busy. Yeah, it's a lot, but I think that's just that's just how it is now. And I I kind of for a long time have been thinking about this stuff, I think a little too traditionally. And now I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna create at the pace I like to create and just put out more more frequently than I think is advised. <laughs> well, look at Prince, man. You talk about another yeah. purple purple person how much crap did he I mean and it was so much of it was just amazing so you know yeah I mean it I for that first album that we're about to put out I wrote 300 songs for that album and to get down to 12 I spent a long time developing that album and I it's like my 10-year baby I mean it was really 10 years in the making and I think when you have 
that much time and like pressure behind something, it's like really hard to release it because you obviously want it to do so well, but being independent, like there's only so far my reach goes. And so I held it for too long probably, but it's time to get her out. And like, once I started writing new music with the, cause I, I didn't write for a good couple years after I kind of finished this record because it was like making me sad to just keep adding songs to the hard drive and being like, there's so many great songs on this hard drive that will like probably never see the light of day. And like, what's the point to keep adding to the pile? <laughs> and once I kind of like made the decision, like I'm putting this album out, like I'm not gonna wait for another dream record deal, like just gonna do it and keep moving. It was like all the ideas for the new music started coming to me and, and we started writing now we're working on two records. So I think you're a doer for a while from the like song flow. And now it's like, all right, I'm just going to be open to all of these things and make the videos I want to make. It doesn't, it's kind of what happened when I, when I left my label deal, I was like, I, I can't not make the videos I want to make. I can't like not do these things just because my circumstances are different. Like we're going to figure it out. Fucking figure it out. <laughs> I mean, the people that persevere, there's some there, tenacity. There's something to be said for tenacity and just. I think it's just about the most important skill you can acquire is resilience. Absolutely. Uh, before we go, first of all, how do you play piano with those nails? Um, <laughs> they're about to get chopped down <laughs> just because of the new guitar, because I cannot play guitar with the Not nails. with your left hand. Nope. That ain't going to happen. It's really sad. Um, yeah. Piano um, isn't sacrifice, too bad. Sacrifice for your art, Anastasia. Yeah, the piano is not too bad. It's a, My technique is definitely not as good. I play a little more flat-fingered than mm -hmm. I'm supposed to, but I can still get by on the piano. Guitar, not so much. But I never had nails until fairly recently. I hated getting my nails done so much. And then I met this woman who did this really cool nail art, and she's affordable, and I was like... I think I just don't like having boring nails. So now that I have the cool nails, I'm like, of course. Now I fell in love with the guitar and they gotta go. Yeah. We're gonna have stubby well, nails again. Well, before, uh, I'm gonna let you go here in a second. I, I, I do wanna say, uh, as somebody who is a middle-aged man, but I grew up with three sisters and a mom stuff, I hate when people write stupid shit to women that's sexist and <laughs> ridiculous and just, they just look like dumbasses. So I saw some guy wanted to buy your panties and I was like, can we please stop? Can we please stop being morons, men? Can we please stop this? It drives me up the wall. Um, how do you deal with it? Do you just want to ignore those idiots or I'm just curious? Um, I don't ignore them. I kind of just um, make a joke and push on because I think sometimes I don't, I don't really know. I cannot really say what goes on in somebody's head when they do something like that. But I mean, to each their own, it's just not for me. But honestly, with how many requests I get for feet pictures, I have this idea <laughs> and I think it is, I think it is such an amazing idea. And I'm legitimately talking with some other artist friends of mine, one who is a software developer to make this idea happen but I want to create a funding platform for female musicians where we can put up our projects and what the money we need. And it's going to call, be called Feet for Funding. And artists can sell their feet to fund their projects. Wow. <laughs> because okay. I know some girls that have made so much money from selling feet pictures. And I'm like, I mean, their feet, like, sure. I'm like, if you want to pay me for my feet, like, sure. <laughs> I uh, I have a 21 year old and an 18 year old, and I'm letting them both know, both boys, uh, right now. Uh, don't be one of these idiots. Your father, <laughs> your father will be on your case. Like I'm going to be very upset. It's just, uh, I mean, it really is amazing how people can get so, um, how can, how they can be so open so quickly on the on the internet just because they can hide behind the internet. Like yep. you would never walk up to somebody in person and within the first three words you've said to them, ask them for things, something like that. Or for their underwear. No, no you people can. Yeah, people just for some reason feel like the 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 anonymity of the internet allows them to be a prick, and it does not. 
You don't have to be, you don't have to be that way at all. Uh, it's very nice to meet you. I'm sorry. It was a little delayed, uh, but it was well with it. I hope you can get to Kansas city at some point. I would love to come out and see this. This is this sounds very there. interesting. You should. Yeah, if, if you have any um, bands that you think we would play well within your area, definitely I send absolutely them. Absolutely do. We are definitely trying to play in other places. So that's kind of what we're doing right now is looking for cool bands that we can go and go and play with in other places so I'd, be, I'd be happy to send you some there's some there's some there's some really interesting and, and dynamic folks i actually have have a, quite a few friends in nashville so maybe at some point i'll get Amazing. back over there and and uh be able to how far is nashville from kansas city it is a from my house to nashville is seven and a half hour drive not bad yeah or it's it's a short flight i mean i know we we both probably don't want to hear about it being a flight too but it's like a little over an hour it's not bad at all so shows we definitely um drive with all our gear <laughs> well it's, it's cool because st louis is really right in the middle oh really yeah so you can do four and yeah it's really it's really easy to do that that'd be good that'd be good so well, you definitely should do that i love st louis yeah fun town um so last question my question of this year is what's your travel hack because musicians have to travel what do you do besides the gummies what do you do to make travel suck a little less what's your for people that uh, get on the road how do you make it a little bit more bearable on the road or on the plane whatever you want to do so i've had people say i bring my own coffee because road coffee sucks i've had people say i actually like to sit next to the little kid on the plane because the little kid even though they're loud they're not you know barging into my personal space and putting their arm over stuff that they're too little they can't buy. so it's been interesting to hear some people i have to bring my own pillow some people is i bring my own food it drives the band nuts but i'm not going to eat the crap on the road so i actually cook in the van so I, i'm always just curious like what do you do hmm. all right my travel hack i would say well when we're in the van i do bring a lot of food i bake breads and i bring them um so that we can at least have some healthy food options i'm like kind of a nut about healthy food um one of my travel things as i always keep like three different essential oils in my purse and i will like put them under my nose which kind of drives people on the plane crazy sometimes because you can really smell them but i'm like cool it'll calm all of you then <laughs> um, essential oils. Mm. my uh my weirdest travel thing probably is the my little ritual for getting on the plane, I always get on with my right foot and I have to touch the outside of the plane or, and if I don't do that, like I, I'm anxious the whole time. So it's like a baseball player does stuff like that. Like they have to like jump over the third baseline and all that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's my thing that I believe keeps us in the air. <laughs> Whatever works, man. Whatever works. It's, it's, uh, it's so nice to meet you. Uh, I really dig your stuff. It's been a pleasure to listen to you and kind I of have one other. I have okay. one other that just came to me for the bus. Perfect. Um, okay, for driving. I have these weird glasses, so I can't read much in the car. I'll get sick, but, um, 17 hour drives, whatever, like touring is long. And so I like to be able to read. So I have these weird glasses that are really dumb looking and they are like circles and then they have circles on the side and they're filled with liquid. And so when you're moving, the liquid stays level all the time. And so it kind of like hacks your brain into thinking that you're not like bumpy so you can read and not get car sick. That's amazing. Do you know how many times as a, as a child I barfed on my poor mother because of car yeah. sickness? It's terrible. It's miserable. Yeah, you yeah. can read in the car room and it, it really does work. I was really scared to try them out because it's like, if this doesn't work, then I'm just going to be really miserable, but they do help. That's great. Uh, it's so fun to talk to you. If I make it to Nashville and you're playing, I'll come out and say hi. It's nice to meet you. You too. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Anytime you want to come back, let me know and uh, have a great day. All right. Take Bye. care, Anastasia. Bye-bye. Just had a deja vu. Something in the way that your body moved. Just saw you dance for me underneath the sky in London. I've never been to London. 
Anastasia Elliott, everybody. She's phenomenal. I really highly suggest you check her out. Um, she does really cool stuff, and uh, she was a lot of fun to talk to and was very kind. I, I, I'm sorry that we're in the same boat where flying is a, a task for us, but uh, I guess I feel a little less alone. But yeah, I still get on a plane. I just don't like it till we land. <laughs> So uh, that's going to do it for this time. Down in the show links, everything you need to do to click on and know a lot more about Anastasia Elliott and her career is there. Please do that. That's it for today. But I'm back on June 1st. The, uh, the, the NAM people continue. Gretchen Min, who's a phenomenal guitarist and uh, can play anything, classical, rock and roll. She's, she does a all-female Led Zeppelin tribute band, Zepparella. Uh, she is uh, also a pilot. She makes me look like a slacker. She does a lot of cool things. Uh, she is going to be on two weeks from today on June 1st. Until then, go out, support live music. We will talk real soon. Bye bye. Say you recognize me.